We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Want to know one of the more underrated storylines about the NFL draft? It's the garb of the people, the players, that are attending the draft. And the players that are will be the freshest, will be the players that wear Indochino. Yes, Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more. And everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. Plus, you get to personalize all the details, including your lapel, lining, and your own monogram. RJ Barrett's brand new collection with Indochino just dropped, featuring limited edition fabrics and jacket linings RJ helped pick out and design. Isn't that cool? Indochino's process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom or do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. <laughs> Isn't that convenient? Right now, you can get $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more. Incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that just doesn't fit. Remember, Blue Wire at checkout. Shipping is free. Indochino. You're going to look fresh and you're going to feel fresh. Get it. Blue Wire. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Filato. Today's show is brought to you by the awesome people at Indochino, Harry's and Roman. We really appreciate the recent growth we've seen in the podcast. 
especially considering how dire the Giants football season has turned. And if you want to play your part, however small you may think it is, to help our podcast grow, please, please give us a rating, review, subscribe to the podcast, and download our podcast on iTunes. When you listen, make sure to hit that download button because that's all we'll ever ask on your part. That and maybe your questions because we love those. And a Twitter follow won't hurt, so you guys can hit us up there, Dan Schneier NFL, Nick Filato. Anyway, both Nick and I have now had the time to digest, analyze, and break down the All-22 Coaches film of the Giants' loss to the Jets in Week 10. And there's certainly a lot to talk about. So let's go ahead and dive right on in. Nick, we're going to start right away. First quarter. And I know, judging by some of the great comments and feedback we've received on the show Fans want us to put timestamps on certain plays we're breaking down, so we're going to do that on this pod. Two plays that stood out to me on that first drive really sum up the 2019 Giants defense, and both once the Giants forced the Jets into second and long, favorable situations for the defense, and after a first down run stop. So let's start there. 10-18, quarter one, second and seven. What the hell is number 25 Valentine doing here? To me, it looks like he was responsible for the slant. And in with uh, Jenkins dropping, but for, but as he drops first with Jenkins, who already has the safety over the top, you can totally see a breakdown here in coverage, at least on my end. What are you seeing here, Nick? Yeah, it was a slight breakdown in coverage, but it was also a well-executed play and play call by Adam Gase attacking a young rookie with the route combination because the Jets on that specific play are in a pistol formation with a three-by-one set to the field. And Ballantyne is on that number two receiver, which is Jameson Crowder, an experienced receiver, a good route runner. Right. You see the number three receiver in that, and again, for newer listeners and everything, number three receiver is the receiver closest to where the ball is placed at so the middle of the field if it's a three-by-one set, okay? So the number three receiver runs a vertical seam to occupy the safety, and then Crowder runs at Ballantyne, then goes outside of him to open his hips outward. And while that is going on, Demarius Thomas comes from the number one, who was the furthest outside, the receiver furthest outside, and he runs the in, that route that goes underneath. And this kind of creates a high low and puts Ballantyne as the, the defender in conflict. With his hips turned outside, he became unbalanced as he realized the underneath route went through his own. And he was kind of carrying Crowder up the field, so he had to adjust his body. And it was just an easy completion to a defender who was out of position, right in his own. And on that play, I don't know if you realize this too, the Giants seem to have man concepts to the boundary with Baker on Anderson and Mayo on Bell's flare. And then to the field, it was more of a zone concept with both those safeties rolling in that direction. Did you realize that as well, Dan? Yeah, I thought that was interesting. A little interesting wrinkle. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I thought that was a, a well-executed play, though, by yep. Crowder. Just kind of getting Ballantyne's hips opened. And then once he sees the in-route cross his face, he has to flip his entire body and try to catch Demarius Thomas. And honestly, this throw by Sam Darnold wasn't even yes. perfect. Because if he threw and hit... Demarius Thomas in stride, then Thomas could have just went right up field and accelerated past him, and he would have ended up running into the uh, defenders in the middle of the field, but he at least gave a little bit of a chance for Ballantyne to recover, even though Ballantyne didn't do a great job at doing that either. And that's fine, Nick. I can give Ballantyne a pass on that as a young player, and based on the fact that it was a nice design by Gase, but then we flip forward to 9.02, a couple plays later, second 11. Again, this Giants run defense playing excellent in this game. And I said this on the first podcast. I didn't think the defensive line dominated up front. I changed my mind after watching the All-22, uh, specifically in the run game and then also in the pass game in the second half. But second and 11 here, 9.02 left in the first quarter. 
I just don't understand, and I want you to kind of explain to me what coverage Jabril Peppers is in here because, you know, as the ball is snapped, it looks like he's facing horizontally with his entire body, and then he kind of leaves the vacated zone and travels upfield where there's already plenty of coverage, and this just leaves that middle of the field wide open for an easy eight-yard completion to set up third and three. Um, So what's going on here? What kind of coverage is he in, and why is he leaving that zone? Yeah, on this second and 11 play, see the Jets were in the red zone here, and in, on this specific game, the Giants ran a lot of zone in the red zone because the Jets have a lot of man beaters, and we know the Giants are a predominant man team, so they ran a lot of zone coverage, and I think Peppers was kind of in a robber-esque role, and let me explain for a second. The Jets were out in a bunch to the field, right? With the backside wide receiver tight to the formation, the Giants showed a too high look with Peppers essentially playing the Mike role as a middle linebacker. And I feel Peppers was that deep middle hook zone defender on this play, kind of like in a Tampa 2. We've seen that in the 90s and the 2000s be a very prevalent defense. And what Peppers was doing was he was anticipating a seam route from Robbie Anderson. This is what I believe, at least. Right. Because cover two defenses are very susceptible to the seam because you have both safeties flare outside and then there's an opening in the middle of the field on the seam. And in the bunch, the outside wide receiver in that bunch went to the flat. The inside went on a snag inside, which would have drew the middle defender underneath, leaving that seam wide open. But I believe that Peppers was kind of playing Robbie Anderson, anticipating that seam. And he would have jumped on that kind of in a robber role, but it never materialized because Anderson angled his route towards the back pylon. So I think that's what Pepper's role was doing, and that okay. was the person that he was following. Because if it wasn't that, I'm not 100% sure what he was doing. Because once Anderson broke out, his eyes were on him, he kind of looked lost. I believe that's what he was anticipating, and that was what he was doing on that specific play. I get it, Nick, but there seemed to be a whole lot of players surrounding Robbie Anderson and just a middle of the zone vacated. So. I don't know what I don't know if, you know, I guess that that makes total sense how you broke that down. I think you did an excellent job of that as well. I just some of these some of these mishaps are just so just seem to me like things that should maybe not be happening, um, you know, in week 11. But again, the, like you said, the Giants are trying a lot of different things out. The Giants probably knew bet you knew going in that based on what Gase has, has shown and the Jets had a lot of man beaters and the Giants like to play a lot of man. It would be a little bit of an advantage to play zone. So I don't hate it. Um, but, but let's flip to the offense side of the ball. Let's go to 627 in the first quarter when the Giants are faced with their first third and eight. And what happens here? Is this just a simple breakdown in pass protection by Saquon Barkley or is it something more? Yeah, Dan, that 627 play, it was a three-man route concept from 11 personnel, and they ran an Ohio concept to the field with a dig on the backside. An Ohio concept is a vertical from the outside receiver and then an out route from the inside receiver. The thing about this play that confused me was the protection. That was obviously the issue. It was a seven-man protection, meaning the running back, Saquon Barkley and Rhett Ellison, were both kept in on this play to block because it was only a three-man route concept. This is the first play where Jamal Adams deboed the shit out of the Giants. And he's showing blitz heavy to the boundary where there is a six tech, which is someone on the line of scrimmage covered down on the tight end, and a two technique. So there are three Giants blockers on that side of the line of scrimmage. And you watch the film as well. It seemed like Daniel Jones recognized the blitz and he calls it out. He goes up to the line of scrimmage. But at the snap, the six and two technique slant inside And Ellison, Gates, and Zeitler all slandered with them. And that left three Giants to block two Jets, probably because the Jets stunt a lot. Maybe that's why they did that. 
but that tasked Barkley to come from Jones's opposite side to pick up the blitzing Adams. And we all know that's not Barkley's cup of tea. He's not the best in pass protection before this game. That was evident. The Giants could have had, I mean, I think at least Giants could have had Ellison take on that blitzing Adams and slide protection towards Adams because right. he was more than likely coming instead of going inside. And then you could have just had if Burgess did end up blitzing because he kind of showed blitz and backed off. And Barkley could have protected the A-gap. I mean, that's something that I was at least thinking could have happened. Why not slide protection towards Adam's side when he's near the line of scrimmage? Teams need to pay attention to Jamal Adams. He's that kind of difference maker. And he proved it yet again in the Battle of the Meadowlands right here. And just to lay this out, man, the Jets had their warts with pass protection, too. Like literally, the Jets had an eight-man protection set, and no one on their team accounted for the Blitzing Peppers. This was the next drive off the edge, and also Dexter and Tomlinson freed up Williams with a stunt. So it's not like the Jets were— setting excellent protections either but if you're comparing your success rate to something the new york jets are doing uh, you may have a freaking problem there's no doubt about that and you know i could have us flip backwards a little bit to 7 12 in the first quarter when the giants have a second and 10 from 21 personnel the wide receiver motions and you guessed it he motions back in the jets have four d linemen two contained defenders on each edge of the line of scrimmage three at the second level i mean a nine-man box Pennies in the game and 21 personnel. That's what that 21 personnel for just to back it up a little bit means the Giants have two backs. That's the two in the 21 and then one tight end. And the second back is Penny. And, you know, either Penny here blocks the wrong guy or he has no one to block at all. He just pushes himself into into Pulley, the center, who doubles with Hernandez while free free defender just hits Barkley at the line of scrimmage. This is just a microcosm of the Giants' struggles with just simple run blocking. And Pat Shermer's, in addition to Pat Shermer's situational play calling here with the run on second and 10 but we won't talk about that now nick because there will be a lot of plays that i have pointed out in my notes that i have questions for you when it comes to the giants run game because it was disastrous in this game but instead nick i want to throw it back to the defensive side of the ball here real quickly with 144 left in the first quarter the giants have a third and six here got the jets in a third and six so this is an advantageous situation for the giants defense and to me this play just goes to show how inept the Giants are when they have Ogletree and Bethay in space. Both overrun Crowder's crosser. He allows him for the cutback, the touchdown here, after the Jets drive it down the field. What do you make of this, and is there just any hope here with these guys, or do they just need new personnel there? Just to broaden the scope a little bit, man, the Giants have made a really nasty habit of going down 14-0 recently in these games. But uh, yes, Bethay and Ogletree are both not good in space. And on this specific play, man, the Jets had a loose bunch to the field with the backside wide receiver just off the numbers to the boundary. The Giants are showing, man, just like in the Jets' first drive, they switched to zone once they're within their own 30-yard line. Again, we just, just talked about this. The Giants like to play zone in the red zone to combat Adam Gase. So the snap happens, and the Giants drop to that cover two look, Tampa two to be specific, kind of like the same play that we went over with Jabril Peppers. And Alec Ogletree is the middle linebacker. He gains depth on his drop, which happens to be right in line with the route of Crowder from the bunch formation. But once Crowder makes that catch, that former Duke receiver has two people to beat, and it's Ogletree and Bethay in space. So Crowder just stops and goes inside to earn those seven points, well, six points technically, for the Jets. The Giants rush four on that play, and if you watch Sam Donald, he looks confused. His footwork is an absolute mess. He looks like he's having a stress conniption in the pocket. His eyes are darting back and forth, and it's not because he's going through progression. He is off base, but he just sees Crowder come outside, 
of Ogletree's zone, and he hits him in stride, and the result is six there. And it's just two players that are a little bit long in the tooth that aren't as agile in space, and especially with somebody as nimble and quick as Crowder. But on that specific play, man, it was another just microcosm of this defense. Not to use the same word you just used, but microcosm of this defense. Can't get off the field on third down. And another result, six points, man. And they're that close. That's the thing on some of these defense plays. They're that close to turning them. Um, And that's what really makes it so frustrating. Before we dive into the second quarter, guys, we're going to take a quick break to hear a couple words from our sponsors. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, Heh, I lost my mojo. Or, we avoid talking about it altogether with excuses like, Honey, I had a long day at work. Or, Sorry, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for erectile dysfunction, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. Doesn't that sound fantastic? The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan if medication is appropriate. And Roman will ship that medication to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple as well. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. Humans have been shaving for thousands of years, and the secret to a great shave, it hasn't changed much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters. Sharp, durable blades at a fair price. I'm not gonna lie, when I need a fresh shave, I break out my Harry's razors, I scrape my mug in my face, and you know what? It feels like a million bucks, and you know what? Your face could feel like a million bucks too, if you get Harry's razors. But you might ask yourself, why do I need Harry's razors when I can go and pay a bunch of money at a grocery store for subpar blades? Well, Harry's is a return to the essential quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 per blade. They've cut out the middleman, manufacturing blades in their German blade factory that's been honing precision blades for a century, which means you can get incredibly high quality blades at factory direct prices. Isn't that something? Harry's is super convenient. Blade refills are delivered directly to your door on schedule with or without a subscription, and there's no risk to you for trying them out. If you don't love your shave, which you're not going to not love it, let them know, and they'll give you a full refund. So listeners of my show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash bluewire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip 
five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with alloy to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to start shaving better today. That's harrys.com slash bluewire. Start shaving better today. Okay, Nick, let's break down the Giants' first touchdown drive because things start to turn for the positive at the beginning of that second quarter after, you know, spotting the Jets 14 points, just like they've spotted the Lions and all these teams before it. But what did you see from Daniel Jones specifically and the offense on this drive that you like? Daniel Jones just battling on these third downs. I mean, the third and nine conversion on the out route to Fowler was such a beautiful pass by Jones to Fowler's outside shoulder along the sidelines. And I actually like the play call to the field side on this specific play. It was a stack smash concept with an inward pivot route by Tate as the underneath wide receiver. Jones liked the leverage the defensive back was giving Fowler, so he didn't oblige on the smash concept. So he saw the leverage that Fowler had, and he attacked the backside, which was Fowler, which ended up resulting in a first down. But later on in that drive, the third and 10 DPI play, it was a too high look, and Tate was manning the slot to the field. He ran a horizontal cross, and the two hook defenders both dropped too far to the field, and Jones missed him coming open near the sticks. But that's not a huge deal on that play. The next play, though, was a missed opportunity, albeit the Giants score on this drive. That play-action rollout from a look that everyone and their mother knows the Giants are going to run. But Shermer motions Fowler behind the inline tight end in a single-back formation. And Fowler, this was a play-action, so Fowler ends up running that seven route, and the play-action sucked Jamal Adams up so far that Fowler would have had an easy touchdown if DJ saw him, but he just checked it down to Ellison instead. But it was a 31-yard gain. DJ has to be a little bit more aware of what's going on with all the players on the defense. It was a huge missed opportunity that didn't bite the Giants in the ass because, again, 31-yard gain. Still, it could have been a touchdown, something that you kind of just want to look at. I don't want to knock him on a 31-yard gain, but Jamal Adams bit so hard. If you noticed that, it would have been an easy touchdown to Fowler. And then the touchdown play was a single back, 21 personnel. They hurry to the line to get the snap off really quickly and catch the defense off guard. And it was just a mesh concept with a seven flat high low to the boundary. And Slayton does an excellent job running his route and then finding an open spot right in between the zone defenders and the defensive back was covering him in man. And he ends up moving away from the defensive back in man, finding that soft spot by the zone defenders. And it really is a play that just shows Slayton's high football IQ and mental processing. And as a throw, from DJ, high velocity, right on the upfield shoulder with four defenders around Slayton. Not tightly around him, but still in the general vicinity. That's something that Daniel Jones has shown a couple times, and it's really, really encouraging for us Giants fans. Again, Giants lost this game, but I don't come away looking at Daniel Jones thinking that he made a bunch of mistakes. Would I have liked him to see Fowler on that play? Sure, but still, he's still showing a lot of positive traits in his rookie season. Yeah, and I'm going to get to Jones in a minute, but I want to first pivot to see what you thought you or what you saw that stood out to you on the second drive. The Giants followed right back up there, the one where they scored another touchdown that they, you know, pulled within an extra extra point away from it, which turned into a botch snap by Riley Dixon uh, or by, I guess by by Zach Diossi and then the two point try. But 
What stood out to you on that second touchdown drive? Because to me, and I'll get to it in a second, but there were definitely some things that stood out both about Daniel Jones and then also about the Giants uh, from the run blocking standpoint. Yeah, they had the third and seven. Daniel Jones puts a beautiful pass on a slant to Slayton with a cover one look and the man covering Slayton about six yards off, giving away that inside leverage. The ball was thrown with good velocity and very good placement from the far hash to Slayton, who was lined up initially about four yards off the numbers, which can be a giveaway of double slants since there were two receivers to that side of the field. But again, that third and seven convert beautiful pass by Daniel Jones. And then later on in that drive was a third and 10 Jets show a cover three look and the giants come out In a stack to the field, 11 personnel, they run an in route by Tate, who's off the line of scrimmage, and a dino stem route from Slayton, which is a route where the receiver bends at the top of his route to give the illusion that he's breaking outside on a seven or a corner type route, which is a way to have the corner or safety overcommit towards the sideline, but the receiver quickly sticks his outside foot in the ground and comes back inside on a post. But on this play, DJ finds tape between the zones and it sets up that fourth and three slant in a cover one look for that touchdown to Slayton. For whatever reason, Greg Williams puts 10 of his players on the field, but the 11th player, he might as well put in outer space. Because the depth that he puts that safety at is absolutely ridiculous sometimes. It's like yeah. 25 yards off the ball. That's why I think he's one of the worst coordinators in the NFL. When I was watching Jabril Peppers, when he, when he coached up Peppers, he would put Peppers in these spots. It's like 25, 30 yards off the line of scrimmage. Like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? I have no idea what he's doing with that. And he did that with Peppers, just like you alluded to all the time. It was one of the misuses he had over there in Cleveland. But Slayton, man, what a release off the line of scrimmage, man. He gets Harrison's hips fully committed outside before planting and driving off that outside leg back inside on the slant and forcing the kid to fall right on his ass, man. And then that safety's angle was so poor because he needed freaking binoculars to see the damn guy, to see the <laughs> damn catch. But it was a very nice play by Slayton. He yep. you know, just continues to be precocious with his development as a fifth round rookie man you got to be so encouraged by that but second touchdown drive tie the game up great looks from daniel jones and some of these other younger players man really encouraging stuff and before we move it on nick a few notes that i had first of all Overall, these two drives and then throughout the game, Daniel Jones' ball placement was once again spot on. We've talked about the ball placement a lot, but you know, when I rewatched this game through the All-22, I saw that his ball placement to me was not only really good, but better than Darnold's. Darnold had some flashes where he threw great balls on the run, but overall, Jones put the ball in better spots on a, on a more consistent basis. And people like to talk about Jones's processing, Jones's mental processing. You know, they want him to speed up in the pocket. I didn't see it, man. I don't see it. I don't see what they're seeing because maybe there was a couple instances of that. But for the most part, it's really just when the pass protection breakdowns and you want to talk about his processing. You have to consider that his ability to get out of these second and third and long second and long and third and long situations consistently is an example of him processing fast where to get rid of the football and then getting rid of the football. You can queue up the second and 13 from that drive from the Giants own 36 yard line with 848 left in the second quarter after a botched Barkley run to get them into second and 13 consistently they're playing from second and long this game and Jones shows excellent ball placement and processing to get the ball to Ellison on a quick out for six yards that sets up the third and seven where he then connects on another great processing play great ball placement for Slayton for eight yards in the first down that gets them out of that if he doesn't pick up that second down where he processes where to throw that ball and throws it with great placement to Ellison the drive stalls and this is what he did throughout the game Giants went eight of 18 
on third downs. He converted six third downs of seven yards or longer, four through the air, one through a defensive pass interference that would have been completed otherwise, and then the fit in the sixth with his legs. And you vis- you vis- you know you compare that vis a vis to Sam Darnold and the Jets who went four of fourteen on third downs, and it's just a drastic difference. So that's the good there on these two touchdown drives. But there was some bad Nick. And I want to back it up and talk to you about the bad. So I want to start with one play that stood out to me for the bad for the Giants offense. And that's 15 minutes ago, the first play of the second quarter. Barkley, he runs right here for no gain. I want to know what the heck is going on with the blocking here. Gates takes out the contained defender. All right, that's fine. He's basically a cut block there. But Pulley, what the hell is going on here? He's supposed to pull, but he can't even get anywhere close to taking out the linebacker at the second level. Barkley eventually has to just take the edge, which is clearly not what he want, what he's designed to do here because the edge is where Gates uh, p- performs the cut block, and there's two guys on the ground there, Gates and the guy he cut blocks, and so Barkley has to run around them. But, you know, Pulley has to get to that second level there, and then it's potential huge play, by the way. This is what I meant when I talked about the beginning of the podcast. The issue with the Giants' run game is, is execute right call here. This should be a run for a lot of yards here, but it turns into nothing, a no gain. What is this just bad on Pulley's part, or is there something more to it? And that seems to be the story of the Giants' rushing game is there's just missed execution. One assignment or two assignment doesn't matter. It kind of just ruins the whole continuity of the entire play. And Pulley had a very, very bad game. Nathan Shepard abused him the entire game. And on this specific play, it looked like Zeitler was blocking hard down on, who was it, Quinnen Williams, I believe. And Quinnen Williams got a little bit of upfield push, and Pulley just couldn't get around that block in enough time. He just took too long to get around it, and by that time— uh, Harvey Lange was already in the in that gap to spill Barkley outside to Marcus May and the other defender that was out there. And it seems like that's just the way it was this entire game, man. There was one-on-one matchups that this offensive line, this makeshift offensive line, just kept losing. And Barkley had absolutely nowhere to run. And the kid might be slightly injured, but it doesn't matter. Barry Sanders could be fully healthy out there in his prime right now, and it wouldn't matter because they're just getting hit in the backfield. Saquon Barkley is just getting hit constantly in the backfield. How many times, Dan, you watch this film, how many times did Spencer Pulley fail on a scoop block or something along those lines on the line of scrimmage, just getting out-leveraged and out-muscled? Will Hernandez had a really bad game. Obviously, Eric Smith. I thought Gates actually played better than all of them. It was it was really, really weird and wild. And this offensive line was just so bad against this Jets front. The Jets front, again, have respect for him. I think they're a unit that is undervalued by the general public who watches football but sure. man the Giants offensive line again a lot of backups they were they were just outmatched yeah and sure the Jets D-line is underrated they have a good defensive front it's a funnel defense that run that they can so they can stop the run because of that it's just like Tampa Bay who has the best run defense and one of the worst pass humans but Spencer Pulley had one of the worst games I've ever seen for his center. He was the lowest graded Giants blocker. And I know you gave Gates some credit. He was the second best Giants blocker, Gates. They actually gave, uh, this is according to Pro Football Focus, they gave Zeitler first. And I think that's actually fair and on par with what I saw, Nick. I do think Zeitler, and you could you could say Gates, you could say Zeitler. They both played good on that right side. But as for Pulley, man, I mean, he was, I have to, I'm hoping this is rust because some people were like, oh, put Spencer Pulley in. He'll be better than Lapio. This is be, this will be fine, guys. Like, it's not even close to finding. He was okay in the back half of that 2018 season, 
But I don't know why this offensive line has regressed so much. They're running the same crap, the same inside zone junk. This should They should be better at this. But I guess it's new guys playing together. Maybe it's the rush for Pulley. But there's another play that get, that has my attention. And once again, it's Pulley again. This is on that same – this is on the next drive, I believe. It's 9-29, second quarter. They end up scoring, by the way, on these drives, by the way, guys. But that is not because of because of Shermer running the football in these bad spots – or not always in bad spots. It's not because of their, their run execution. It's because Jones consistently is getting this team out of second and third and longs, which is going completely under the radar. Do you know how hard it is to get your fucking – to move an offense when you're in second and third and long all the time? Anyway, 929, second quarter. I'm getting heated just watch, just going back into this. First and 10, the Giants 39-yard line. Pulley just destroyed here. It's a it's a shotgun handoff running from Jones' right to left. Why is Pulley blocking down here? This is my question. Why is Pulley blocking Danner to the left? And why are they running from such a tight formation here? Those are my two questions there because it's a total blow-up play here. Yeah, Dan. There was a motion right before the snap and there was looked like it could have been a zone read type play, but they hand the ball off. And Spencer Pulley's actually not blocking down on this play. They have to the play side of the formation. Nathan Shepard is in a two eye technique, which means that he's on the inside shoulder of the play side guard, who is Will Hernandez on this play. And they tasked Spencer Pulley to scoop block him, which essentially means Spencer Pulley needs to move his body to the outside shoulder of Nathan Shepard and seal him away from that A and that B gap from the play side, essentially. But Nathan Shepard, and I got to give it to him, man, and I loved him when he was at Fort Hayes State. I thought he was a really, really good player coming out of the draft that year. He gets off the ball so quickly and beats Spencer Pulley to the backside A gap, and Spencer Pulley fully overextends himself and just did not expect Shepard to move like that. Moves so quickly, Shepard totally beats him on that scoop block and just locates Barkley in the backfield for a huge loss. And that wasn't the first time you saw him do this to pulley Nathan Shepard. I want to say Nathan Shepard was suspended for a lot of this year, and I think he just came back last week. And man, did he make his presence known against the Giants. And another thing about Kevin Zeitler, actually. Uh, Zeitler, he had a, he did have a good game, but I want to say it was the second play of the second quarter. He did get put on skates by Terrell Basham, a kid out of Ohio a couple years ago who was drafted by the Colts. And I just realized the Jets ended up picking him up a couple weeks ago. And I was like, oh, that might have been a good pickup. But he got put on skates and that forced the, uh, the incompletion. That was with 1430 left in the second quarter on a second and 10 and put Daniel Jones in a third and long situation. But other than that, I did feel Zeitler had a pretty good play. I just wanted to add that in, or pretty good game. I just wanted to add that in there because I didn't get a chance to touch on him. Yeah, no doubt, Nick. And listen, I could go into a lot of other plays here that really were just disasters. I mean, even on this drive, second and 10 from the Jets, 45 with 703 in the second quarter. It's just another pulley disaster here. Um, but I want to fast forward a little bit before we get to the second half here because it feels like the Giants wasted an opportunity with first and 10, a minute 25 remaining in the second quarter from their own 44. This is a prime position where you can get some points where you have a quarterback who's hot. But instead, they're on their own 44. It's first and 10. So what does Patty Boy try to do here? It's a Barkley run up the middle. We get two. The Giants get two yards. The clock rolls. The hope for that two-minute drive and that last-second field goal, whatever you want out of it, it's just shattered. And you got to know your personnel here, Pat. you got to know your personnel. Give me a break. The Giants look like they have no clue what they're doing on this play. 33 for the Jets. Adams loops around. Zeitler tries to pull, completely misses him, instead runs into the back of a Giants blocker who's locked in, engaged in with the defender, and Adams blows up the play. But, you know, even if Adams doesn't blow up Barkley in the backfield here, 
here. It's at most a six-yard gain here. So what the hell does that get you there with a minute 25 and the clock rolling from your own 24? You're not fooling anyone here, Pat, first of all. Second of all, your personnel is not executing their blocks. It hasn't been executing their blocks all game. So you just can't do stuff like this. You want to run the ball. You want to have uh, have a run game. Just use the passing game as an extension of the run game. You saw it with Barkley on that 22-yard gain. You can find ways to use your passing game as an extension of the run game when the run blocking's this bad. But it's just not there, Nick. And it just leads us to the second half and that first drive of the second half. So if you want to talk about that, I know we touched upon it in our take- takeaways uh, podcast. But is there anything else you wanted to add about that? Yeah, the first drive of the second half, I mean, you saw a third and one situation and that came after that really strong catch by Slayton on that second and 10. The Giants on the third and one, though, they come out with 11 personnel, single back, tight stack to the boundary, play action pass with a three man route combination that saw nobody at the sticks, man. And that to me is just a little bit. Of a freak, I don't even know how to really quantify it. That's absolutely ridiculous. That's a third and one. You're passing, and you have nobody near the sticks. It was two horizontal crossers that wouldn't have been available to catch the football till they were six or seven yards past the first down marker. Dan, with a deep post from the outside receiver, the number one to the boundary. Why are the Giants taking? the shot in this scenario when they have all the momentum and a third and one, a situation that you can win with this makeshift offensive line and Saquon Barkley in pass protection. He's not reliable in these situations, and he's proven that through the last couple weeks. The next thing we all know, what happens? Adams beats Barkley, and next thing, Jets have freaking six points, and it's a terrible start to a half where you get the ball, and I don't know what it is about this team, but they cannot open games or halves well. It's a brutal watch. Next play, the Giants yeah. get the ball, and Hernandez doesn't identify Lange coming through the A-gap quick enough, and it's yet another time Barkley gets nailed in the backfield. But I'm sure he would have eluded him if he was healthy. That's bullshit. I'm just, I just don't understand why this team can't get up and play first half, second half, and why there's so many protection issues and why they're doing just dumb shit like – running deep patterns on a third and one when you have ball to open the half. It just doesn't really make sense yep. to me. Yep, and I'm usually for taking these aggressive shots, but not when you have three reserve offensive linemen in. And people didn't want to call Pulley a reserve lineman. Well, he was the worst lineman on the field, including Eric Smith in this game. So just think about that. Take a step back as Smith was not good in this game and think about that because that's how bad it was. And that's how much they – I mean, they re-signed him this offseason. I'm not even sure that was a good decision. Now, I want to give him a little bit of a break because, again, Pulley did play pretty solid down the stretch in 2018, and maybe it's just rust. But in this specific game, and you're a head coach, and you're watching that in the first half, you have to have some self-awareness. You have to adjust your game plan around your personnel, and that's just something we're not seeing. But let's fast forward to something good here, right? Because, something good, yes. Yeah, because later in that game, later in the game, Giants come right back with a third and nine screen to Golden Take, Golden Tate. Sorry, not a take. Golden Take. I thought you said Tate was, at first. Golden no. Tate, and I was gonna be like, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, I've heard that nickname before in fantasy football, at least. Um, one of those shitty fantasy football names people think are funny, and then they put it out there, and it's just yeah, not, like my like my balls hurts and stupid yeah. shit oh, like yeah. that. It's like, shit, yeah, they just literally see online on uh, it, it's just it, whatever. We're not gonna still, get into that right still, now. I'm still heated about this run blocking, but third and nine. They execute a screen for a touchdown. So why did this screen work, Nick, when so many did not? Hey, I got to I got to tip. You got to tip your cap. 
when the execution is there, man. Third and nine, screen for a touchdown to Tate, 11 personnel, everyone to the boundary other than Slayton, who is in plus splits to the field by about a yard, which means he's a yard off the numbers on the backside. So a ton of space up top where Slayton was. And we know Daniel Jones likes to kind of attack defenses when Slayton is to the field. And he's in a one-on-one matchup. So what does that demand? Space and the one-on-one matchup demands Adams to roll that direction on the snap. So it's a third and nine. It's a blitzing down. So what do you do to combat a blitz? You utilize quick game and you utilize screens. But the Jets only sent four rushers on this play. So it wasn't a blitz. The Giants big men did just a very good job getting to the second level and locating their blocks. It's possible, ladies and gentlemen. Gates got just enough of Marcus May. Ellison took out Mollette. And Zeitler dominated Copeland at the second level to spring Tate for that touchdown. It was well executed. And it helped that Jordan Jenkins was overly aggressive at the line of scrimmage and went after Daniel Jones when three blockers just walked right by him or just ran right by him, essentially. I mean, it could have been a lot different and he decided to go back and realize, hey, that's a design screen. But you know what? He didn't. Then, of course, after a well-executed play by the Giants, they go for two and Tate gets called for the push-off. And then Rosas does what Rosas has done a lot lately, misses the extra point just to zap some of that momentum back to the Jets. Yeah, and you know what, Nick? It, it was a, you know, like you said, it did zap some momentum back to the Jets. It gave him some momentum. But, you know, I do want to walk it back because with every positive, there is a negative. And, you know, we've been calling a lot for the Giants to diversify their run game. But I'm starting to realize it's not even about just using so much inside zone because there was a play, first and 10 on that drive from the Giants' own 25-yard line, 14-13 left in quarter in the third quarter. Um, actually, I guess this was this was way backing up. This was before the Tate screen and, and before the fumble. So it's... So it's a pitch play. They're trying something new here. But what the hell is happening here? Why is the ex- blocking so execu- executed so poorly here on this pitch play, Nick? And I don't know if there's even anything you need to w- weigh in on here. Is it just this is what's going on? Because at this point, Nick, I am ready to turn the page on Hal Hunter. This guy should not be the Giants offensive line coach. He has to take some blame, right, for the execution here. We know he's an old friend of Patty's, old friend of Patty Shermer's boy from the Browns days. We know what we heard from Dante Whitner on the radio a couple weeks ago talking about the Redskins. How some of these head coaches just simply hire their friends and it's just a fucking good, you know, old old school, old, old boys business here. Because this guy stinks, Hal Hunter. He was terrible in Cleveland. The blocking's terrible. And I'm sorry, but you have Hernandez, you have Zeitler. These guys are are we've t- you know there's teams that some teams can't even say they have a Zeitler and a Hernandez. You look at some of these offensive lines, they have much worse players, and they're not blocking as poorly as the Giants are in the run game. So how much blame? I want to back this up and kind of ask you. And I'm using this play because it was different. It was a pitch play. It wasn't the same old inside zone, and it still went for no gain. So I'm using this to ask you how much blame do you think just from your knowledge of football and from your studying and from everything you've done going to scouting academy every tape every ounce of tape you've ever watched nick how much blame does somebody like hal hunter the offensive line coach have to bear i mean he definitely has to bear a lot of blame i mean i've talked about this on the podcast before these positional coaches are one of the more less that no one talks about the positional coaches but they mean so much to the football team and they really can make a huge impact and they can hinder your success, which I do believe is somewhat of a case here because it doesn't matter. This inside zone isn't working with the giants with fully healthy or not. It just has not worked. And you look at the offensive line. This offensive line is much better than 
offensive lines of the past that the Giants have had. I mean, we're talking about Eric Flowers starting at left right. tackle and all these things. I mean, I'd take Nate Solder any day, and I'm sure a lot of you would. Nate Solder has not been perfect, but you have to look at coaching. Why are these why is this offensive line kind of had a lot of miscommunications? Why can't they get to the second level? Why aren't they executing these ace and duo blocks well to hit a guard and climb to the second level? Why is that transition not simple? I see it with – I watch a lot of football guys, and I see a lot of teams run similar schemes, and they just get to the second level. It's not always just a talent thing. And while I think the talent can be upgraded at some of these positions, you have to look at coaching at some point. And on that specific play, I believe I referred to it before – that wasn't even a power concept, though. There was no puller. They had the lead blocker in Penny on that play, but no one ever pulled, and Hernandez was blocking, and he was just late to identify Lange. That was a really good play by Lange, number 44, going through that A-gap right past Will Hernandez. But I want to see some power concepts. I want to see some gap concepts. I want to see some true, this is where you're going to run the football, and then you pull, and you seal, and you block down, and it's not always just this inside zone, but we just have not seen that a lot with Pat Shermer. Yeah, and like you said, for all the Giants fans who think you can just pour all our assets into Thomas with the first pick in this new draft, or, you know, sign some guys, use all your money, use all your assets on the offensive line, it's only going to get you so far, because they have upgraded from a talent standpoint from where they were at. And they, like I said, there are some way worse offensive lines than NFL. You're looking at one of them, the Jets. Um, and obviously, they weren't able to run on the Giants either. So it's not a good example. But there are some if you look around. Um, even the 49ers with injuries on their offensive line lost their two tackles or still run the hell out of the football. So a lot of it's coaching. A lot of it's Shermer coaching. A lot of it's Hal Hunter, I believe. And I think, you know, that might be the cross that comes to bear. That might be who we see get lose his job this offseason. But you never know because he's a good friend of Shermer's. They work together in Cleveland. And that's how the NFL works these days. These coaches are hiring their friends. And it's really just a true disappointment. But let's flip it over to some positives here because one of the most positive plays of this entire game came in, in the third quarter. Again, we're still there. 7.28 to go. Giants have the ball, third and 11 conversion. What did you see here that was that that gave you some, that inspired some serious hope about Daniel Jones and the Giants offense? So this play came right after Tate stopped running on the play action rollout. That would have been a touchdown. And again, that can't happen from Tate. I'm sure he beats himself up because that was actually a really good throw by Daniel Jones. You Great see ball. Tate. You see Tate slow down thinking the play was over, that there was going to be a dump off. And then he just quickly accelerates. And there's, what, three defenders around him. So Golden Tate, he knows that was a mistake, I'm sure. He's got to run through that. He's got to run through that. And that ball would have been caught. And let me say this, Nick, for anyone who's questioning Jones' arm talent, that throw should sell you on his arm talent. Go back, take a look at that throw again. He's rolling to his right, throwing from a completely off-balance platform. And that ball... Put, has perfect touch, drops right into the corner of the back of the end zone. If Tate runs that through, that is one of the best throws you're going to see on the entire tape of Daniel yes. Jones in his rookie season. It is actually it's going to be the best throw. It might It's going to beat that throw he made to, uh, I believe, Slayton in the first game against Tampa where he's rolling to his left and throws that deep post back into space. It's going to beat that throw. It would be the best throw on his tape. So I, I, I didn't want to cut you off, but go back into it. But I just No, no it's it. beautiful. And if anybody wants to go and watch – that play. It was a second 11 with 735. But let's talk about the next play, that third and 11. Giants were on their 36, and they were content with just getting in field goal range in this situation. They came out in 11 personnel, shotgun, and run Ellison up the seam. Since the Jets were playing a lot of too high, like we said before, that they want to obviously occupy that seam. But Slayton was left one-on-one against Harrison. 
And DJ puts the ball outside and away from the coverage. Again, another beautiful pass and very strong and firm hands by Slayton to adjust to the pass and then pluck the ball out of the air. But the other three receivers all ran about four-yard curls, which tells me the Giants were content with taking three here and going up 22-21. to But Jones trusted his receiver and goes for the first down. And I absolutely love to see that from Jones. And I love to see him put so much trust in his fellow rookie when there were much easier completions underneath that would have still netted points. But again, in classic Giants fashion, they follow that play up with a dumb illegal formation penalty. And, and let's be fair, that drive does end well when yeah, uh, Jones throws the touchdown to Tate. And this may look like a simple throw to you, but that ball placement is perfect because it gives Tate the, the exact – it puts in the exact spot for Tate to just not be, you know, moving to his left where another defender can come up and chop him down. He's able to pivot and go right up field. Um, so so I think it's, it looks like a simple throw, but it's a great throw. And then it's followed up – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you – you're right. That That's great throw, that touchdown pass. I mean, we rightfully slammed Shermer for that play call and all this mismanagement or for play calling and mismanagement and some of that kind of stuff. But I feel we got to give him credit where oh, it's yeah. due. Three and by then, two set, man. I mean, the Jets, they showed the blitz. And I mean, it was uh they were able to combat it, man. Yeah. And then I didn't mean to cut you off there. If there's anything else you want to talk about that specific. I mean, I can, play. I can go on about the play. I, I mean, yeah. I, how did they, how did they get, how did they get Tate so open in the middle of the field there? I mean, the Giants, I mean, that one play, man, Jets show the blitz. They bring five in a one high man coverage, and the Giants go back to using, they used it earlier in the game, a double China to the field, a double China cut route concept, which is a three-man route concept where the number two and number one receiver run in routes, and the number three runs a flag or a corner route over the top of it. So the Giants go back to that double China, which they used earlier in the game, and that clears out that deep safety who followed that seven, that corner route, and allowed Tate to be in a one-on-one matchup in the middle of the field. The number two from the backside took his defender into the end zone, and the number one just stayed at the line of scrimmage on that play. It was just Tate versus Poole on the in route, and Tate ended up winning. Again, a very nice ball by Jones, like you said. I mean, it was a short pass, but still, man, upfield shoulder allowed Tate to continue his path away from the coverage and into the green grass to go and get six. You want to know why Daniel Jones is the only rookie quarterback to have four touchdown passes and two two games of four touchdown passes and three and 300 yards in the same game? You want to know why he's converting six third down seven longer? It's because of the ball placement. It's underrated, goes unnoticed a lot. But like you said, that ball had zip. That ball hit the exact part of his shoulder that you want to, to lead to the touchdown. And then he followed it up on the two-point version with what I thought was his best throw of the game. Pretty much off balance. The rush is coming in. And he leads that. He leads, I believe, Fowler uh, up the field to the corner of the end zone uh, with that with the ball that drops right over the top. And he did that, too, with Kyle Phillips right in his right in Eric face. Smith. Right in his grill. Beat. Like so much touch anticipation, you're throwing your receiver open, you have a linebacker or it was a DB right in between you, you have to put it right where it needed to be, and he just put it there, man, you had to put it in a specific spot, had to use touch, all things that people said Jones might struggle with, he showed it on that play and ended in this game in general. Yeah, and that's when the Giants get momentum in this game. That's when this game should have been won, and then right away they follow it up with a third and eight, they get the Jets into a third and eight. And boom, they lo- I love the blitz call here by, Sh- by I'm sorry, by Betcher. Bangs, Darnold has no chance on this play. The momentum is all with the Giants here. But then they get the ball back. Finally, with the lead in this game, with 142 in the third quarter, it's a key drive here to keep the momentum that they just got. But they go three and out with a sack on third down. 
What happens, what I want to know is what happens here on the first and 10 with 142 when Jones looks to nearly get picked on that route up the left hash. Was it just a miscommunication with Slayton or what happens here? Jones almost throws two picks in a row, actually. Uh, first down, empty, set, 11 personnel with Barkley off the numbers by about five yards to the field. And the Jets are in a cover two zone. Giants ran a hitch vertical to the boundary with the slot running the hitch, but it was read well by Austin Blasian. I believe that's how you say his last name. I'm not 100% sure, but we're going to go with it, who almost <laughs> high points the pass that was intended for Slayton. I mean, Blasian read Jones's eyes and cheated up Slayton's stem because he was going to be the underneath defender, but he was reading Jones's eyes and he saw that he was eyeing Slayton down. So he rides Slayton up his route to almost come away with the interception. And I mean, that would have been a really acrobatic catch, but you would like for Jones not to just eye Slayton down there. Maybe look at that underneath the receiver who was a little bit open as well. And then the next play, second and 10, 21 personnel. Jones tries to thread the needle to Tate in between the zones of Copeland and Burgess. Lucky Burgess didn't come up with that pick there too, man, because DJ stared Tate down from the snap at this one, probably because the defender over top of Tate at the snap bailed to a Tampa 2 type of coverage high in the middle of the field for a hook zone defender. So he saw the person who was originally covered down on Tate bail, so he thought maybe he could get Tate but the zone defenders were obviously on top of that and knew that was going to happen. So they were waiting for that to happen. And Jones almost was baited into an interception on that specific play as well. And the third down, the Jets dropped to the sticks. But Nathan Shepard does what he did the entire game, destroys the Giants offensive line. And his victim this time was the kid Smith. And it ended up being a sack. I mean, that's just a, a, a drive that zapped momentum from the Giants when they needed it the most and you just hate to see it because especially for the young quarterback who played a phenomenal game yeah and then you see the Jets with 12 minutes left in the game go on go on a key drive that flips the momentum back is there anything you saw specifically there or is it kind of just you know Giants getting beat on you know content when the quarterback breaks contain on those horizontal man route first man and and, and, you know, credit to Darnold what do you see there I mean the Giants were struggling covering Sam Darnold on the move and on the move and those move the pocket type of plays. I mean, Sam Donald broke contain and he moved on his own very, very well. And the Giants seem to just not be able to cover that. I don't know if it's something to do with the, the Giants just not positioning themselves at the proper angles. I mean, again, man coverage on a lot of horizontal breaking routes is difficult no matter what. But I just feel like some of these linebackers and some of these players on the Giants team never align themselves well, put themselves in position to, to, knock passes away and just kind of get PBUs against opposing quarterbacks in these types of situations. They always find themselves a little bit out of position. And maybe sometimes it's because they cheat up and try to hit the quarterback. If the quarterback does kind of rush, so they are put in conflict, but it just seems to happen. And on that third and one play to Griffin, it was a move the pocket play action rollout. And then there was the first and 10 play to Thomas where Buchanan didn't feel him cross behind till it was just a little bit too late. That was just another play that was uh, not good for the Giants' defense, to say the least. And uh, it looked like a pretty bad rep by DeAndre Baker, too. Do you know what play I'm talking about? Yep. Yeah, it looked like a bad rep by DeAndre Baker. I mean, because Thomas, he sold a vertical hard, and Baker yep. and couldn't recover on the inside cross. And it looked like Baker was toast on this play, and it looked hard to watch because it seemed like he gave up. But I don't know if he was expecting Buchanan to continue to carry Thomas but Baker seemed to just give up a little bit later in the game, fourth quarter of 450 left. It was a similar look, a play action cross to Thomas against Baker. But on that specific play, 
similar coverage, at least it looked like it, Peppers picked up the cross. So it begs the question if it was on Baker, that previous play, or if it was just Buchanan not picking up the inside breaking route and just kind of piling on to a much maligned player in Baker and everyone just kind of blaming him. But it might have been that he was supposed to pass it off to Buchanan. Buchanan just didn't pick it up until just a little bit later because you see Buchanan kind of realize it and then react on that sure. first and 10 play. Sure, and that's going to happen, obviously, with someone like Buchanan, who's who's getting used to the players he's playing with. But even before that, let's back it up a little to even get to this point where the Jets are in position to take the momentum in this game. We have a drive where the Giants have the ball. First and 10 from their own 25, 14-52 in the fourth quarter. They got another chance to get this thing back. They have the first and the first down play. Um, you know, it's just, I don't know what's happening here. It looks like Hernandez and Zeitler are trying to get to the second level. I just don't see how this play can ever work. I'm so confused by it. It's no gain. We don't have to break it all down, Nick, because we've gone over this run game. But it puts them in second and 10. Eventually, they get into a third and 10. And Jones has to scramble for 11 yards. Um, but eventually on this drive, but is there anything, I, th- I think you noticed something specific on that scramble from Will Hernandez, who we both agree has regressed this season and didn't have a great game. Is you want to point that out? Yeah, Hernandez had a really bad couple plays in that specific drive. I mean, the previous play, Slayton was open, but Jones just couldn't get the ball off because Quinn and Williams bullied Hernandez back into his lap, essentially, which forced the incompletion. And that ended up setting up that Danny the Maniac moment, if we want to give it some kind of nickname, the third and ten run. And picks up the first, taking hit after hit, showing a lot of testicles. But you take one too many of those hits, Dan. You're going to get hurt. That scares me a bit. But the next freaking play, though, man, halfback zone stretch and Hernandez is in the backfield again, being pushed back by Foley Fadakasi on this play, who is very underrated. But still, he needs to have some anchor, get some push. The running back injured or not, he can't do anything in these situations. You know, see if this becomes a trend because the next play, second and 14, empty set with a hitch from the two and a dig from the one to the boundary. Jones can't complete the pass because Jordan Jenkins is in the lap due to Hernandez not holding up at the point of attack. Will gets pushed right into Daniel Jones to force another incompletion. These are three plays in the game. Hernandez didn't didn't execute his assignments while forcing the Giants to punt. I don't know what is up with him, but I mean, I don't remember Hernandez being a player that lacked sand in his ass last season, but he certainly did on this drive, and it cost the Giants a big opportunity, man. And it's just time time consecutive plays on this specific drive against different players from different alignments, run or pass, it didn't matter. It really just was a struggle. I mean, on that second down play, you could see Hernandez uncoil his hips and try to use all of his power to hold up Jenkins, who just keeps chugging his feet and backing him into the pocket. And I granted it was a tougher assignment than usual for because Hernandez was blocking Jenkins coming from a wide position. So Jenkins had a little bit of momentum, but still, man, you need your guard, good offensive guard to step up in that situation, have sand in his ass. And Hernandez did not on this drive. Without a doubt, Nick, and he's his regression is something to seriously that's seriously concerning moving forward. But you know that drive, like you said, it ended in a punt. But there's 12-12 on the clock. There, you gotta, as a head coach, feel confident in your team after Jones gets you out of a freaking third and 14 with a 12-yard pass to Slayton that you put him in by running a stupid play to Barkley that had no chance of working for negative four. Just a crap first and ten, negative four, horrible run executions. 
hopeless play. By this point of the game, it's the freaking fourth quarter, Pat Shermer. Realize what you have there in the personnel with Eric Smith and Spencer Pulley out there missing blocks left and right. And don't call that freaking play. But you're in there. You're in that third and 14. And Jones gets you 12 there. It's fourth and two with 12-12 from your own 44-yard line. Go for it here. Take the momentum. There's a play in your damn playbook that will get you two yards. And guess what? It's so hard when you spread and you go empty set in the NFL. It's so hard as a defense to stop like five hooks there. I mean, Jones can diagnose one of these stupid hooks that's going to be open on a goddamn fourth and two with when you go empty set there. Use that play call. Call it. You're going to get the first. You're going to keep the momentum. And it's a different ballgame because we talked earlier about that Jets drive. Right after this punt. And that sealed the game. That changed the game. And it's the Jets. I get it. They're 1-7. and seven. The Giants were 2-7 and eight, seven going into this game. We're not playing for a Super Bowl here. But these are the type of coaching decisions that will matter in a season if Jones progresses. If the Giants roster progresses moving forward. And if they're competing for games to make the playoffs. These are the type of calls as a head coach. The situational coaching that kills you as, as somebody who's following this team. It has to kill you. It makes no sense, too, because earlier in the game, from their own 39, he goes for it on fourth down from a similar situation. It just doesn't add up here. I don't get it, Nick, and that's why that drive happened. But before we touch on questions from the listeners here, are there any other players you want to talk about in this game? Is there any other fight you want to touch on the Giants' final drives that failed? Or just, you know, is there anything else you want to get into? I want to talk about a couple of players. I do believe Leonard Williams. And I wanted to actually ask you, did you feel like after watching the film that oh, Leonard Williams? Yeah, he, he I was way wrong on Williams, uh, you know, from that. You know, I, I like I said, I was in the press box. Yeah, you were in the press box. That's a different angle. It, it's, it was not easy to see 99 from my spot. But when you watch on the All-22, he was clearly the Giants' best defender in this game, I think. Yeah, I thought Leonard Williams did really well against this Jets offensive line, especially against the pass. I thought Alec Ogletree had a couple plays for those who want to watch on Game Pass. And the second quarter, 12:26 left. Second quarter, 11:06 left. Second quarter, 149 left. But he also had his warts because, hey, it's Alec Ogletree. That's going to happen. <laughs> I thought B.J. Hill had a few reps that were really good. One, I don't have the exact play, but it was towards the beginning of the second quarter where he just bullied his lineman back and forced Le'Veon Bell to just totally go off script, and it was a very nice play. He doesn't show up on the stat sheet for it, but it was one of those things where he just got upfield using that strength and just totally blew the play up. Somebody else got the stat, but you know what? Football's a team game. And then there was another one. Uh, I want to say it was the fourth quarter, 827 left. B.J. Hill had another nice play on that specific one. And then there's Dalvin Tomlinson, man. And I feel like I'm be- – Coming this big Dalvin Tomlinson fan on Twitter. And I don't necessarily mean to, but he just keeps making plays. He keeps winning one-on-one matchups. He keeps his chest clean. He establishes inside hand placement. He uses a low center of gravity, explodes through his hips, and constantly defeats blocks to help this Giants rushing attack. And I really like what I've seen from Tomlinson. It's one of those things where I don't know if he'll be retained as a New York Giant, but someone's going to get a really good run defender, and he just keeps popping on film. And I'm sure you see it too, my man. I do, and I think that he actually can be retained. I think the way they must, this thing might go, especially with the way they're playing this out, where B.J. Hill only got 18 snaps and Tomlinson got a lot. And if we want to get into snap counts, there's some things that really surprise me. Rhett Ellison. I say, I say we do, yeah. I mean, Rhett Ellison got fewer snaps in this game than freaking uh, – who's this stupid tight end that, who was horrible, Kate, by the way? Caden Smith. Caden yeah. Smith, who I thought was atrocious as a blocker. I Maybe I'm seeing something different than anyone else. I mean, I'm just going to take a quick look and see what, what – uh, what, no, pro football focus. Uh, you know, 
horrible grade for him as a blocker here too. He was one of the lowest graded players, but he got 40 snaps compared to 34 for Ellison. They had used a ton of these two tight end sets, 12 personnel did not work ever unless they passed the ball. It never, almost never worked in the run game. And that was weird to me. Um, but while we're on the topic of players that stood out, I want to give Jabril Pepper some props here. He had yeah. a nice batted ball at the line of scrimmage at Darnold that saved the drive. And he makes plays, like you said, as an alley defender. He makes big plays. The batted ball is just one example of them. The forced fumble from the week before. He makes big plays. And that's all you can ask sometimes. He's a big you, – you want a guy who's getting paid nothing and, you know, you're going to complain about a guy who's been getting paid a million against the cap and making plays like this because guess what? If you go back and you watch the 2018 film, Landon Collins was making a lot of plays in the run game, and he was a and he was a shorter tackler than than um than Peppers was, but he wasn't making as many plays in the pass game, and he was getting paid a, sh- a shit ton more this year. Six years, 84 million. That contract is trending in the direction of looking like one of the worst bust free agent signings of the offseason. We're gonna see it as it moves forward. I I hope for Landon's sake gets better, but I do want to pivot back to this point about Tomlinson and Hill because, like I said. Hill only played 18 snaps, so why are the Giants playing Hill 18 snaps if they're just going to let Tomlinson go next year? Wouldn't they, in a lost season like this, try to get Hill on the field more, try to see what they have there, et cetera, et cetera? What I think is going to happen is Hill's under contract for cheap. Uh, Dexter Lawrence is under contract for cheap. They have no money allocated on this defense at all. They have a ton of cap space. I think they're going to resign Tomlinson. I think they're going to keep Tomlinson there. I think they're going to resign Leonard Williams, give a lot of money to both of those two. And I think that they're going to have this rotation. I think they believe in this rotation. And I think that that's kind of what Gettleman – Gettleman's not – you know, he's a transparent general manager. He's not holding any of this stuff in. He said he thinks that the defensive line rotation is extremely important. We may not agree with the way he's gone about it with these four big guys, but that's what he believes in. So I kind of getting – starting to get the feel that Tomlinson is not just some guy they're going to definitely not resign here, Nick. All right, Nick, is there anything else you want to touch on? Any other players, anything? Um, you know, before we get to the questions from the listeners, I know some of the listeners asked about specific players, so we'll get to it there. But anyone else that stood out to you? David Mayo actually did a decent job keeping his chest clean at the second level. He defeated a couple of those Jets offensive linemen at the second level, showed a lot of uh, just an ability to locate his gap better than he has in these past couple of weeks. And again, play the Cowboys Monday night, and then you go and you play the Jets. Big difference in offensive lines, to say the least. But I wanted to also tip my cap to him because I felt like he had a better game. And he deserves it because he definitely had a better game in this game. But, you know, he's no long-term answer, at least as far as I'm concerned. All right. On that note, let's dive into the questions from the listeners. We start with Michael Stepney, who asks, I know you've been constantly saying that Saquon Barkley needs to be more involved in the passing game. But why hasn't the Giants coaching staff done more to make him a weapon? I have no idea, Michael Stepney. Sorry, Michael. You're my boy. I know it. You know it. Uh, we got nothing for you here. We have nothing. We don't understand it ourselves either. They tried it. They had one route designed on that third and two for Barkley to come out of the backfield and get that one-on-one versus the linebacker resulted in 22 yards. And then we didn't see a single play like that again. So it's just, it's tough. And that was a really nice play call too, because you had Barkley one-on-one against the linebacker was obvious man coverage. He had both receivers running slants and in routes to create that traffic. And Barkley doesn't even need the traffic necessarily because he's yeah. such a good athlete, far superior than any of the linebackers on the Jets roster. I do not know why the Giants don't do that. And I think the easy scapegoat answer is, oh, well, he's injured. But they weren't necessarily doing that when he was fully healthy either, quote unquote, if depending on how injured he is. So exactly. I'm not 100% sure. Exactly. Okay. Michael also asked Darius Slayton. This is more of a statement. Darius Slayton, he needs to be part of the present and future Giants core. Actually, guys, if you throw it back like four or five podcasts, maybe three, two, I don't know how long ago it was. 
when someone asked me fantasy football wise, Darius Slayton or Golden Tate, I said Darius Slayton. No one thought that would be correct. And I said, like, like, like I always find most important in fantasy football and in the NFL, whatever you want to call it, is rapport, chemistry between a quarterback and receiver. These guys have been practicing since rookie minicamp together. And lo and behold, Slayton gets 14 targets last game, 10 receptions, and is clearly the number one right now for Smith, uh, for Jones. So I think, yep, you're right. He needs to be part of the present and future. He's already corrected a lot of the mistakes people thought he would have coming into the NFL. He's shown as a better route runner than people thought. His hands are better than people thought. He's aggressive. He attacks the football with two hands. I love it. I think he's this good is good at the line of scrimmage. That's another huge, at the line of scrimmage. huge underrated part of his game yeah. is he's able to win at the line of scrimmage with his release and his hand fight. And like, it's it's very, very encouraging for Giants. This Nation. is a player. They found the player here in the fifth round. And you know, God forbid, you know, as long if Brian Conley doesn't tear his LCL, ACL, I think they found two starters in round five in this draft class. So it's pretty it's pretty good stuff from that standpoint. Um, D. Goodman asked, this may be a project for the bye week, but how many of Jones's fumbles are him expecting a blitz or a pass rush to be picked up as he gets hit uh, or and he gets hit as he throws? Um, and how many are balls that he has in his hand and he loses as he's tackled? Yeah, it's definitely a better question for the bye. I mean, something we'd have to take time to look at, right? Anything jumps out for you there, Nick? I mean, I think a lot of the times he is just holding on to it and not doing the best job feeling the rush. There are a couple times. I think it's sure. a mixture of both, though. There's a mixture of both. And there's times where he's running out of the pocket kind of recklessly and goes to dive or slide and loses the ball. He just needs to high and tight it and try to just develop a little bit better awareness in the pocket uh, i would say but yeah i i don't i don't have any stats in front of me that kind of lay out which or how all these fumbles materialized yeah and let's let's back it up a little and be fair i mean these aren't not it's not like he's going through something that's totally fluky because he fumbled 19 times in 34 games at duke so this is clearly an issue for him and it's clearly something that he will need to improve on we're not looking at like some random stretch of his career where he fumbles a lot and then he doesn't fumble and and the fumbles will go down it's not going to be this ridiculously high this is obviously the high end of the variance there but it's a, it's an issue um, for sure, and it's something he's going to have to work on. And we talked about it on the last podcast too. Okay, Jim Henry asks, I understand there's a lack of talent on defense, but who has improved on defense through the first ten games? Specifically, I want to know if that if the answer is Carter, Tomlinson, Lawrence, Peppers, or Baker. Also, Sam Beal played ten snaps on defense. Did the tape show you anything on Beal? I see a lot of improvement from Tomlinson on this season. I think Lawrence has slowed down from the beginning of the year but he's still making a lot of plays in the run game yeah, he's just still not in this game yeah yeah exactly and then carter i feel like is very very good against the run in comparison to where he was at last year he sure. kind of drops his body weight a lot because remember this guy's like six foot five he's very very long sets his base establishes a long arm and then keeps his chest clean so offensive tackles cannot get into his body and kind of dominate him that way. So I feel like he's doing a much better job at that. I still want to see more against the pass. I think the yeah. traits are there. He just hasn't put it all together yet. Pepper still has some mental mistakes, but he's so damn physical and so damn important to this defense. It's not even funny against the run yeah, and even in the pass. Yep. Yeah. And then as for Baker, Baker is his football IQ is just not there right now for yeah. this defense. And it's very, very evident. Still shows a lot of good traits, but it's just not there mentally. At I don't know point. how he got a, how he got along at Georgia because that defense seems pretty complicated to me. Um, but I yeah. guess they just had him like on an island and impressed man the entire time. I'm imagining. I mean, I watched some Baker tape coming out, but I don't think I have enough to really right. uh, 
just talk about it, especially since that was almost a year ago. And as for Beal, I mean, he played those 10 snaps. Jack Rabbit ended up possibly getting a concussion, I think it was, and leaving. And Beal came in. He made a tackle on a play that wasn't his guy. He came off. I want to say it was one of those move the pocket plays where Sam Darnold found a receiver underneath and then he came down from the deep part and made the low tackle. But I mean, it wasn't really enough to see anything from Beal. Samuel Lawrence asks, it looked like Dan Jones was making more audibles. I like calling him Dan Jones. I I still think he should be a Dan, not a Daniel. Anyway, Hmm. looks like Dan Jones is making more audibles at the shifts at the line of scrimmage. Is this possible? How much control does Dan have with changing his plays at the line of scrimmage? You know, I'm not 100% sure uh, how much he does control. He is the leader of this offense. You would hope he has a lot of control. But there are have been a lot of mistakes with locating some of these blitzes, and I'm not totally sure if Jones has all of that under his control. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's hard for us to know, guys. I mean, this would be a great question for Dan Dugan, Art Stapleton. God forbid Jordan Ronan wants to do anything on actual football or, or Pat Leonard, but, you know— that's we're not going to be able to know that we're not in the locker room every day and those guys aren't asking these questions anyway or and they're not going to get answers from somebody like pat Shermer anyway um so unfortunately we won't have answers for you either nemesis asks as much as eli was criticized for it would throwing more dump offs to the running back barkley on first and second down be a way to keep them out of more third and longs i like that jones looks to throw down the field but they sometimes lose short games because he doesn't dump the ball off honestly i'm going to step in right here nick and you could correct me if you're wrong no, because the Giants are running the ball in most of these first and down, first and tens, first of all. Second of all, when they are throwing the ball, it's mostly plays that are, you know, there aren't too many of these design dump offs that I'm seeing where Jones just isn't throwing. There are some times where I want him to throw it and he has to throw it quick to that to that check down in the flat. Um, but it's really not as much as you would think. Uh, do, are you seeing something different, Nick? No, it seems like the Giants are running a lot on those first and second down opportunities. I don't see a lot of uh, a lot of pass plays that are meant where Barkley would be able to get a lot of yards where it's being left on the field. You know what I'm saying? I don't see a lot of those passes. Yeah, I mean, most of, like, for this game, for example, they had 13 run plays for one yard. And most of those run plays, if not all of those run plays, I'm pretty sure, were on first or second down. So you want to know what's getting them in these third and longs. More so, it's the head coach who isn't adjusting to an offensive line that's not blocking well in the run game and continues to go back to that no matter what. For the sake of hashtag establishing the run. And we get into these third and longs where somehow Jones is pulling out magic out of his hat, I feel like, because it's going to stop at some point. Um, You're not going to be able to just get out of second and third and long your whole career. You don't want to be there either, for God's sake. Uh, Jay Wright asks, I came across some talk about the plays, the running plays you keep talking about, the inside zone where they keep motioning the wide receiver and they haven't been able to block. This is a situation where the Giants should be implementing a new scheme but haven't had the time to do it in practice. Perhaps it's something that's done going into the bye week. Um, Nick, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but at this point it's probably too late, right? I do feel like having that extra bye week you could help add on okay. new plays and because you're not scheming this entire week. You're not scheming for an opponent. Yeah, you, you know, know what? what I'm maybe maybe you're right, Nick, and I'll tell you why. Because last week, when they, uh, sorry, last season when they came out of the bye week, it was like a whole new run game. Now they added Jamon Brown at right guard last yes, season. Yes, yes. But I don't think he was the entire difference there. Yeah, and also the whole team was you know one more week healthy. Yeah. I guess you could look at it that way too. But these are also things, man, that you did the Giants over expect their inside zone and their personnel to block really well throughout this season. And that just didn't materialize. So this is why they're doing that. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, anything to change up the disaster that we've been watching that is the Giants running game. It's beyond bad. It's killing them on offense. It, it's, uh, dude, Dan, it's nuts when you think about it, and we've touched on it, but it's crazy to think, and nobody's talking about it enough about Daniel Jones right now with this because the ins- they don't have a running game. Their running game at all. is not only do they not have a running game, they have a non they have a running game that's hurting them. It's not like exactly two or three yards and getting into second and seven, third and five after a couple runs. They're getting in second and long, third and long over and over again. The fact that they're even competitive, like the fact that they're yeah. even competitive is is uh-huh. something is such a testament to Daniel Jones because it's absolutely asinine to think that a rookie quarterback who yeah. with without Shepard, without Ingram, with Barkley not really doing anything and not being schemed to do anything with no running game is able to keep this team in it. Especially when his defense isn't, it's not, I don't know if the defense is as bad as a lot of people make it out to be. Cause I I hear like sports talk radio and just like things like that. And they're like, this is the worst defense. I'm like, no, it's, it's not, it's, it's not a good defense, but it's not the worst defense. You know what I'm saying? Like, but there are a few worse. Yes, I would, I would say so, but it's the big play that kills his defense. We talk about it time and time again, but Daniel Jones, just, uh, I just, Wow, that's uh, takes a lot of balls to do that, man, to keep this team in it like that with all that shit just going on around you. Yep, and so hopefully there are some changes. Drawing back to your question there, Jay Rada, it, it remains to be seen. Elliot Ruth asks, thoughts on Shermer not wanting to give up play calling? Because uh, for those who don't know, Pat Shermer said uh, going into the bye week, he will not be giving up the play yeah. calling. Let, let, let's play a game here, Dan, all right? We're going to oh. go one, two, three, and then we're going to give one word to describe – this question and why Shermer won't give up play calling. Do you want to do this? Yeah, sure. Okay. So you have your word? Yep. Okay, you go first and then I'll go right after you, all right? Ready? All right. One, two, three. Unsurprising. Stubborn. Yeah, I was going to go stubborn if not unsurprising. These are the two things. I'm not surprised and it's just who Pat Shermer is. He was exactly. known as a def- highly defensive coach in Cleveland. That's with a Cleveland media, for God's sake, which is not as as like the New York media. And there's nothing that has changed there. This is his personality. This is who he is. Um, you know, he doesn't think anything that's gone wrong so far is his fault, really, is the way I perceive it to be. Um, and so, I mean, at some point, he's going to have to look himself in the mirror and see that he has a 2-8 and eight team that should not be 2-8, and eight. Um, in my opinion, at least. They should have beat the Jets. They sh- could have and should have beat the Lions, the Cardinals several other teams on their schedule so far. AJ asks, is it possible that Shermer hasn't expanded the playbook because he is slow releasing it for the is slow releasing the complexity for uh Daniel Jones? Uh, you if someone were to make that argument, you could just point to when Eli Manning was in there who's you know obviously a seasoned veteran and there still wasn't a lot of imagination right. and the blame was always just oh cuz Manning can't make the throws. Well, yes, it was always supposed to be when he gets his quarterback with the mobility we'll that, see more of it. That's in this game the craziest thing was Nick I, I'm not trying to cut you off but the craziest thing to me and I have to get this out is that when they do freaking design these design rollouts for Jones he's either he's he's reading it and he's either taking the run if there's nothing there or he's making these throws on the run like he was an excellent thrower while rolling to his right at Duke. Why the hell are they not utilizing it? We saw it on the ball to Tate where Tate didn't run through it what should have been a touchdown that ball had great he threw it awesome the arm talent on that ball was excellent like he throws a great ball rolling to his right utilize it i have no idea why they don't utilize more move the pocket type of plays and get him into some space and just kind of do what every offensive coordinator is doing against the giants defense and seeing success i don't know why we don't do that more often with dj 
Yeah, it's just and it's too bad because we probably sound like a broken record, honestly, at this point with Shermer. But like, I I, I yearn for the days of Kevin Gilbride's run and shoot offense, where we probably would be if we had this podcast during that time, wouldn't be talking about the offensive coordinator. Uh, last question for tonight, and that is Bobby Madelon, who asks: The Giants made additions to the offensive line, but aren't much better than last year's O line. Additions to the defense, like Lawrence, Baker, Peppers, Williams, Golden, and also second-year guys, and somehow the defense has looked worse. So who is to blame for this, if not the coaches? I do believe the coaches handle some of the blame, but the personnel still doesn't always execute their assignments. And just because you upgrade doesn't mean it's going to be a perfect world, especially with the defense, as I alluded to before. It's a lot of big plays that are killing this defense, and that kind of is because of the youth. Guys like Baker, like that's, that's an addition to the defense, but it's an addition that has hurt this team to some extent. And when it comes to the offensive line, there have been upgrades. Some of these guys have been injured. They don't seem to be the most cohesive unit, even though they played, what was it, eight, nine games straight in a row all together. And uh, it's just they're just losing to the other team. The other team is outplaying them in some of these games. And sometimes it just it doesn't you can't analyze it in a vacuum like, oh, you made you upgraded. So it has to be better. There's just much more context, much more nuance that needs to be looked into with these certain situations, especially when you talk about management of the game and play yeah. calling and all those other things. Yeah. For me, offensive side of the ball, Bobby, offensive line, I'm put, I'm pinning the blame on two people here. I'm pinning the blame on Pat Shermer and I'm putting the blame on Hal Hunter. Shermer yes. with the Giants offensive line and running game in horrible situations and Hal Hunter, just what the hell's going on here? They gave you more talent. This offensive line should not be regressing. As far as the defense goes, yeah, you name some additions, but all these guys are young guys. And again, the Giants have the least salary cap space of all 32 teams allocated to the defense. For me, the argument stops. The argument begins and ends there. There is not a single playmaker on this, uh, or sorry, premier paid playmaker on this defense. Nobody who offenses fear. There's no fear edge rusher. They have a miserable second level of the defense. Total miscommunications with young guys in the secondary. No deep half safety. That is what's going on on the defense. And they're playing a little bit, like Nick and me both believe at least, they're playing above expectation considering the talent that's on the defense and the personnel they have. I really do feel like they're playing above the expectation, which sounds crazy. Obviously, I mean, you look at the defense it sounds crazy but that's how we feel about it and you know it's crazy that we've now gone this long I guess it's what 24 games with James Betcher here and the Giants and me myself Nick Filato Nick Turchin the old co-host of this podcast we're all big fans of Betcher so we must be seeing something different than 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 the majority of the fan base here but I think it's going to be a little bit of a disappointment when he's made the scapegoat at the end of the season, and that's the only move the Giants make that, and maybe asking Pat Shermer to give up play calling to someone like Shula, which again would be disastrous, I think. He was not <laughs> well, a good play caller in, in Carolina. And it hasn't been good with Shermer either, but no. I mean, I just I want to see James Betcher with talent. I want to see yes. him with a talented Please, God. And another thing too, man, like this defense. Three straight yes. top six defenses. This Giants defense, while they – Broke a couple times in this game in some key moments. They also came up pretty big in certain. Yes. It's like when the Giants went for it on fourth down, and then they ended up stopping the Jets when they were on their own side of the field. Like moments like that, it's like okay, this defense can get up. They still play hard. They still have these mental lapses, but they're still competitive despite the fact that they have undrafted free agents playing significant snaps and replacement players playing significant right. snaps as well. Yep, no doubt about it. All right, guys, thank you again for tuning in. One favor we'll ask, and we ask at the top of the show, we'll ask at the bottom. Just do us a favor, rate, review, subscribe, and most importantly, download each podcast. If you don't have iTunes, try to find uh, – I, well, I guess just help us out by liking us on Spotify. But really, for the iTunes users, for the Apple guys and girls, just do us that favor. That's all we'll ask. 
And on that note, we will talk to you guys again, not this Sunday for Reaction Pod because the Giants are on a bye week. We will talk to you again next week, or maybe we might have something special planned for the Giants bye week. More on that later. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you guys soon. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call click or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done